The Contenders is a proud member of the Cage Club Podcast Network. For other great shows about movies and pop culture, go visit cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Oh, don't you worry about it, Mr. Hart. I've been chased by swifter men than you, and I ain't been caught yet. You gave that promotion to Bob Enright instead of me. I've got five years seniority over him. I know that. They're trying to kill me. Why would they want to do a nasty thing like that? I don't know. I'm not such a bad guy. You're a sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot. Welcome to The Contenders, the show about the movies made by and starring women who refuse to play by the rules. I'm Tobin Addington. And I'm Isla Addington. And today we are talking about... Nine to five, the 1980, <laughs> dare I say, classic. I think so. Yeah. Think so. Um, Tobin, when when did you first see Nine to Five? It is possible, <laughs> highly unlikely, but possible that at two, well, I was two years old when this movie came out, that I was taken to Nine to Five in the theater with a blanket to throw over my head at at bits that would have been too much for me at the time. I have no, uh, I do not know for sure that that happened, but it certainly is a possibility given our history. Uh, but I do remember, I remember it being sort of in the in the conversation. The theme song is embedded in my like deep in my, my reptilian brain. Like Agreed. I, I my toes starts tapping real quick as that as that starts playing. Um, so and then I you know I remember yeah so I I, I knew it growing up. I uh, saw the Broadway musical when it uh, debuted on Broadway with Allison Janney. And, uh And have but have not seen the movie in pro- I would say probably about fifteen or twenty years now. What about you? I uh, agree somewhat. I I wasn't there in nineteen eighty. Um, but I remember it being something that people talked about, we were um, a household that was pro all of these hilarious ladies, but I think mm-hmm. for different reasons. I <laughs> There are photos of me at as a toddler doing the Jane Fonda workout tape. Oh, sure. Um, so that was in the house. So I, we knew Jane Fonda was. She's also um, pivotal in On Golden Pond, which is an Addington classic. Right, which comes out the year after this movie. Oh, really? That's it's, it's her, it's her follow-up. Yeah. Oh, I didn't yep. realize that. Yeah. Um, you know how there's the Criterion Collection? Oh, do I? I think there should be the Addington Collection. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like this strange pattern of films that are, um, you know, deeply um, in, in, entwined in our lives. Um, and then I remember Lily Tomlin from... Is it big business that's her and Bette Midler? Yes, Bette Midler, yeah, both both in dual roles. Yes, a, a twins separated um, at birth, kind of uh, a Prince and the Popper sort of. <laughs> yes, totally. Um, totally. And then of course Dolly, because we're a very um, we're a very big country music household and a very big like old timey country music. Right, right. Um, like to the point that I think uh, our mother and grandmother kind of gave an eh to the Whitney Houston, I will always love you because to <laughs> yes. them that was a Dolly Parton song. Um, yes. And so it was, it was around in that way, but we didn't own it. Interestingly, or maybe mm-hmm. not interesting to other people. Um, but to me, uh, so I remember it as a, again, a movie watching um, when we were going to have the big sucker sale and we were spending a lot of time all together in the kitchen 
watching VHSs over and over again. Um, and also, mm-hmm. yes, the the song just yeah, I mean, just I feel like I've always known that song. Yes, right. It's a it's a good one, but I um I don't know a lot about it. Also, have to say, still a huge fan of all these ladies. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You know, currently planning my trip back to Dollywood, so got to put that out there. Yeah, um, I have my do- my dolly dollars, my dolly bucks are somewhere. Yes, burning a hole in your pocket. I think I, have, I think I have a fiber. Oh, hello! I wonder what that's yeah. become over the years. <laughs> yeah, what inflation has done to Dollywood. <laughs> yes, dolly dollars. Have dolly dollars appreciated? Um, <laughs> but I don't know a lot about the background to this um, film. So, Tobin, could you give us two bits of film history here? I sure could. This comes at a interesting place in um, Jane Fonda's career. She was a very much established star at this point. She'd had Oscar nominations, if not wins by this point. I can't remember. I'm going to look this up now if she won for um, for Coming Home. It's entirely possible that she did. Um, yes, she did. She won uh, two years before. She'd won an, ac- uh, an Academy Award for um, Hal Ashby's Coming Home uh, and was, uh, you know, um, had been doing a lot of very serious work. She was in a movie called The China Syndrome the year before where she plays a reporter who's trying to dealing with sort of like nuclear uh, reactor issues or like, I don't, I've never seen it. So I don't, I don't know exactly, but there's some kind of like nuclear, the secrets of like nuclear power. So anyway, she was in that kind of mode and um, she is the, the first bit is that she uh, had the original concept for this movie. She knew about a group of women who had an organization in New York called nine to five that, we're trying to find ways to innovate office work, uh, w- women's roles in the office and how offices could work for, for more sort of um, sort of gender inclusivity and parity of all kinds. And um, so she had this idea to make this movie and they tried a lot of different ways. She and the, and the producer uh, who I think was Bruce Gilbert. Um, and they kept coming up against the problem of it, it was too, in their words, this is her words now preachy as a drama. And so finally had the idea to make it a comedy. Uh, and the, the screenwriter, Patricia Resnick, her first take, it was much more dark. I think it was closer to that movie, horrible bosses that was out, not, you know, in the last 10 years where the, if, if you've seen nine to five there's a sequence that's in sort of fantasies of the women all killing different ways they would get rid of their boss dabney coleman and in the um in the that original concept that was the whole movie was them was them trying to kill him and never quite being able to do it um the other bit is that this movie made more than a hundred million dollars in its initial box office run and was the second highest grossing movie of 1980 can you guess what the what the only movie that made more money this year was. E.T. No, no, but you're in the wheelhouse. It is a space movie and it is the second movie in a long running franchise. I don't know. A franchise we are still experiencing today. Oh my God. In space. Oh, it's Star among Trek? the stars. Well, close. Star Different Wars. stars. Star Wars. <laughs> yes, yes. Sorry. <laughs> Empire Strikes Back is the only movie in 1980 that made more money than this movie. So when wow. people get all up in arms about there was when before Bridesmaids came out, it was like we, ensemble female comedies cannot make money. I say one more time, fuck you. Because <laughs> it's been happening for a long time. So those are my two bits. Those are great bits. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can I tell you uh, about well I don't have to tell you anything. Can we um, name the <laughs> the ladies in charge real quick? 
Please do. As you mentioned, writer Patricia Resnick. Actors Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, and Dolly Parton. And I have to also say there, the supporting um, ladies of the office were also fantastic. Very good. Okay, well, let's ding. Let's ding those ladies, those too. Ladies, Roz and the rest. Yeah. And then uncredited producer Jane Fonda. That's our, that's a little controversial. She's not at all credited in this movie, but boy, you, you dig at all into the reading of this, of reading about this movie. And she was the, the sort of the producing force behind it all the way along. Hmm. So I think she, she deserves a ding. I think. Uh, amen. As many, she deserves all the dings in my humble opinion. <laughs> um, Tobin, uh, because we do have some uh, younger listeners. And in fact, in one kind of iteration of us doing this, I suggested that we have a very young person on as our guest uh-huh. to just see, <laughs> see what they thought oh, yeah. of all this. Um, yeah, yeah. So if we have um, young folks who have not uh, yet had the pleasure of watching this film, which is free on Hulu, folks. Um, yes, it is. Please tell us uh, what this movie is about. I'd love to. Nine to Five is a workplace satire about three women – Office newbie Jane Fonda, jaded Lily Tomlin, and sweet-until-you-cross-her Dolly Parton, who band together to deal with their, quote, sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot of a boss, played by Dabney Coleman. After first fantasizing ways to kill him, they ultimately abduct and imprison him while they run his division in his place, and turn out to be so wildly successful at it that when he finally gets free, the powers that be ship him overseas to work his magic, freeing the women, though pointedly not offering them equal pay Mm -hmm. for equal work. Yeah, I loved that (laughs) moment, didn't I? (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. So two two things. One, just because we're starting with that that equal pay bit, which they do, uh, the ladies do say they're going to work on right right at the end there. Um, uh-huh. This so uh, this episode you know drops um, mid to late March uh, this year. April second is equal pay day. Okay, um, great. So that is the uh, amount of time it has taken into 2019 um, for the average white woman to make the uh, same amount as the average white guy so for doing the for same for work. doing the same work so there's a lot right. there's all kinds of you couldn't see it in this audio platform but there's all kinds of asterisks and things there um, yeah, so if right. you're interested please dig into it um, and look because it's um, the well the common um, number we hear a lot is you know 78 cents to the dollar uh, depending on uh, various identities and, and intersections of those identities, it can be much worse or um, or slightly better depending on kind of wh- where a person sits, uh, where their social location happens to be. So, um, so yeah, dig into it yourselves. But it's we're still like very far from being where we ought to be. Almost forty years later, and and the and the caveats are it could be much worse or slightly yeah. better <laughs> than seventy eight cents yes. on the dollar. I mean, it's I I. I laugh only because I sort of have no other uh, it's that or scream. So sure. Or go to the, you know, powers to be in your particular area and demand uh, an audit of, of pair of uh, wage parity and, and ask questions and, um, right. and do, do other things about it. Take that extra, um, you know, the other 22 cents um, and devote it to uh, causes that can help us um, close that gap. There we go. Love it. So laugh or do those things. 
<laughs> or you know you could laugh and do those even things. Even better. Even better. <laughs> um, the other. Th- I just meant right now, sitting sure, here, sure. <laughs> at this moment. I do have a yeah. beef with yeah. this movie. Okay, lay it on me. Uh, based on the song and the film, I expected when I grew up that my job would be nine to five, and it is eight to five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a lie. And that isn't bothers it? me all the time. <laughs> Dolly Parton lied to me. Oh man! Well, finally, it all comes <laughs> crashing down. <laughs> um, but really, you know, the the film opens with the song and just the the typewriter clicks and the um, the percussion going and all that. Just it just makes me smile immediately. I love mm-hmm. it. I yeah. love it. Yeah. I was surprised, pleasantly surprised at again. It's not it's not perfect, but at how um, interesting and diverse the the credit sequence was to yeah. this movie. Did you did I you pick did. up on that? I, I, my second note is all the leads are white, um, but the opening has a lot of um, diversity of particularly um, women on their way to work at right. work, um, going about their day in the in the workplace. Yeah, and this uh, New York, these busy New York City streets, and shots of you know, it starts with shots of of feet on the uh, you know you see a lot of heels, mm-hmm. high heels, you uh, mixed in with sort of whatever the loafers or whatever the the dude shoes are walking along the along the sidewalk uh, as a way to sort of move in. Sometimes these opening sequences in movies, particularly from the eighties, I would say, are kind of throwaways. Like they're, they're, they don't really seem to be about like so like let's just show this cool place where this movie is taking place. This one really does seem to kind of situate. Mm-hmm us in a real world of women actually working in this, you know, in this space. Agreed. Absolutely. It, it um, sets, sets the tone quite as does the song. It's a great accompaniment as does the song. To the song. Um, and just immediately they're all fantastic. All three of the leads are just <laughs> masterful. Totally. Totally dialed in mm-hmm. all of them. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And, and, and playing in some cases too type, like this feels like a Lily Tomlin type and maybe that, that I've just come to know more since this movie, but of her sort of world weary, been there, done that toss off a, you know, a sort of funny jaded line, but also, but while being really, really good and in her heart, like still idealistic somewhere, you know, sort of underneath all the armor, uh, that's really fun to see. I agree. I, I was impressed. Um, the, yeah, absolutely. She is burnt out and she's, you know, you can um, feel the tension of of her just doing her best work, clawing her way to the middle, um, being passed over for opportunities, various things. Um, and so in that, she doesn't always have or in that early when we're first kind of meeting her and she's doing some exposition and and setting the scene like she doesn't have a lot of compassion necessarily mm-hmm. but then that um almost immediately there's a, a scene where there's speculation about uh dora lee the dolly parton character potentially having an affair with the boss mm-hmm. and and she doesn't involve herself in that gossip at, at that s- stage and right. i thought that was i was like okay because i was worried i i had remembered the um what I remembered was the sort of on one side of the door, all the office people speculating right. and, you know, making things up and then passing them off as truth. It's true. And then yeah. on the other side of the door, seeing the extreme harassment that um, Dolly Parton is um, undergoing and, and surviving in her job. Mm-hmm. And 
And so I was impressed because I, I had that like little panic of like, oh, is the league going to be on her side or not? And and really, it's sort of Judy, the the Jane Fonda role that is in kind of indignant at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the right word for this, that because having just been cheated on, she kind of draws her moral line in the sand that that's yeah. just not OK. Um and then, you know, they all find out pretty quickly that it's it's all speculation. Um, but let's talk about the the other side of the door that um, Dabney Coleman um, and the harassment of Dolly Parton. Yes, let's let's do that. Appalling. Appalling. Obviously. Um, and there is a I don't know, I think Dolly plays a really interesting I think she plays that really in an interesting way. Um, as this is an area that I I work in off yeah. and on and I'm mm-hmm. around people talking about a lot, I hear um, sometimes from folks that like, oh, well, yeah, of course I'm being harassed at work, but I can take it or mm-hmm. um, I'm not – like I won't let it define me. or uh-huh. and, and I'm all for um, – I want um, people to be able to uh, situate themselves in their experience. So absolutely. But I, I don't know. There's something about, I think she plays so nicely that complexity of she needs this job. Mm -hmm. Um, She appears to be, at least in those first kind of encounters, um, she's, she's tired of his advances. She's, she's very clear that nothing's going to go on, but she's, Mm -hmm also in that first scenario at least doesn't appear to be um afraid necessarily right and right. i think that's a lot of layers to play and and i love with that with this character they they um they show this character's home life enough that you you understand kind of her relationship and maybe um the rest of her life and how that in influences how she's able to um, kind of reconcile what's going on at work, which again, we're all saying is not okay. And she says as well. Um, but I, I liked the nuance. Cause I think they could go, they could have put her in that. Well, um, I can take it kind of category right. and gloss over the, no, it's wildly inappropriate. And I, and I think she's able to, to do both. This is inappropriate. And also this is not at all what I'm interested in. And I feel happy and secure and, um, and confident in, in my other relationships that maybe allows me to, um, the, having that support network allows her to continue to show up at work because I, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> regardless of, of what's going on at home, I don't know that I could show back up at work, um, like that. And, and also that she doesn't seem bothered by all the speculation. <laughs> Right until it until it is brought up to her face. Right, right. until until it becomes a uh, um, until it comes text and no longer sort of right subtext. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. There, it's there's a all three of the women's home lives are are kind of interesting because they 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 do different things. Right, they show sort of different sides of this. And in in all cases, I mean. T- in the Dolly case, like you don't get the sense that there was in the way that there may not even be today in a lot of places, like an HR department you could go to. Right. You know, like <laughs> there's like who who is she what is she, who is she going to tell? Um who does she have the 
or she, she has uh, feels as though, and I think structurally has very little power in that situation. And so she's, uh, um, but but she has the, the the most what we would think of as in movie terms the most traditional home life mm-hmm. in terms of she has a stable partner. Uh, they're married, aren't they? I yes. I, I assume so. I guess I maybe I'm, yeah. Because there's yeah. a thing where she says I'm I'm happily married. Or, oh, I'm married, right. and that's he right. says I am too. That's why it's perfect. Right. That's right. That's right. So, um, and whereas uh, Layla Tomlin has, she, how many kids does she say she has? She is has it, is four. It, we only ever four? see one. Right. Right. The, who, the, and that's the one that gives them the pot. It gives her the pot, right? Yes. That she ends up. To, uh, <laughs> um, and then and then you have the recently divorced uh, Jane Fonda character who who is served with her papers by her ex, like in the you know, in scene three or right. whatever, like very early. So you're seeing different that, that the women at the, at the, this workplace come from diverse backgrounds. This isn't a movie where it's just about a person who has, um, is, it can no longer, is no longer being supported by a partner. And so must come to work. That's, that is one of the mm-hmm. characters that we get. And I think that that the movie plays that um, in ways that all three feel very truthful and that, and that sort of diversify to some degree where these characters are coming from. Agreed. Uh, agreed, period. Good work. Where I'm not satisfied yeah. um, is with uh, Hart's wife. Yes. And the way that she is, you know, written into this universe and then treated in this universe, mm-hmm. um, which to me is, is different than Roz. Like, I'll also give that, you know, the Roz character, the, um, you know, office kind of busybody and I don't know, suck up and whatever. She's like the chorus. Oh no, no, Roz. You're not my Roz. Sorry, yes. Yeah, no, not the drunk lady. Um right, right, right. But the the one that'll the that'll the The tattle command. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. Which also like I'll give her that that's her mechanism to survive and or get ahead in that business environment that Hart's created. Right. I mean, sure. she's a, I think she's sure. a product of that environment. Um, and so I'll um, I have empathy for her, even though she is, a you know, a saboteur in the um, <laughs> for our heroes. Like, I, I think that's also sure. That's another way that she could be at work. She could be the person who is no nonsense and going to follow to the letter what the boss says and tell the boss what's going right. on. OK, that's fine if that's who she wants to be um, or that's how, you know where she is um, in the, in this time and place, but the heart's wife character, I just, they're like, they're unkind when they talk about her and then her obliviousness. And I, she just has kind of lack of anything real to me. Like I could, I can Mm -hmm. see all the rest as, as full fledged humans. And I just, Mm -hmm. I just see a, a caricature there. And so that's, that is disappointing. Um, and I wanted to point it out, but mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's true. The, the movie does not pro- offer her, I, both of those characters th- does not offer them the same dignity that it gives to these other, especially Ooh, these that's the a three good way to say women. Yeah. 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 They're, they're, they're sort of just, both of them are just punchlines, mm-hmm. which is, which is too bad. It's too bad. Um, I noticed pretty early on, um, Dolly Parton's fingernails. That's why we have nails like that now. <laughs> it's not Instagram. It's Dolly Parton in 1980. I love it. I love it. Okay. <laughs> Intense. And I mean, and I'm all for it. Do whatever you want to do. Um, but those are, 
Those are harsh. Um, I also wrote down toward the beginning that, of course, Hart steals Violet's idea. She comes to him with an idea and he says, no, we can't do it. It's too expensive. And then the next thing you know, the big boss is congratulating Hart in front of everybody for his amazing <laughs> idea. And I just wrote down, yeah, still a thing all the time, constantly happening. Yeah, yeah right. And not always exactly. in that particular, like it's not, it doesn't have to be a gendered issue, but it very, very often is. I remember there was there there. I've had a lot of friends who've worked in um, offices to varying degrees of corporateness. Mm. Maybe is the way to say that in New York. Uh, and um, the the experience I remember uh, mostly is I mostly remember hearing women talk about this. But but you're right. People of all different genders having this issue where uh, someone would take their or that they were expected to do that work mm-hmm. and then allow their boss to take credit. Right. Even, even not, not like it, like it was a slippery thing where they were like, it is in this movie where he's clearly said no and then stolen the idea and kept taking credit for it. But rather it's just the job of the least highly paid, mm-hmm. <laughs> least respected people in the yeah. office to generate work and ideas that then they're, sort of the, the people who are higher than them will take credit for it. And that's just understood to be part of the process. Yeah. That is, I've always, I always found that maybe because I come from sort of from a, from a, a field where intellectual property is uh, held a little <laughs> bit higher, not, not, which is not to say that the movie business is at all, you know, golden here, but in terms of like my peers who are writers, like we are, we generate our ideas and write them. Right. And, and the idea that someone else would, that we would do that, give to someone else to take to, to show us their idea is kind of goes, goes against a very sort of, Deep sea. Sure. Uh, Although thing. there are um, pockets, right? Ghostwriting. Oh, for sure, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know. Well, and that, but, but those, but in general, yeah. I, I don't. I do not mean it, that. There's that systematically, it is not an issue. But in terms of, I found when it, when these people told would tell me their stories, I would think. I, and as and and they would tell to me not like can you believe this thing is happening but oh yeah this happens and I'm like that mm-hmm. happens <laughs> like that seems that seems not to be the the, the system that we should have which you know is our refrain here on the show. Um, it reminds me of a a scene that's always stayed with me from Mad Men and full disclosure I didn't make it all the way through that saga, um, but somewhere in the middle there is I think. Um, and maybe the company got an award for a particular mm-hmm. campaign and K- uh, Elizabeth Moss's character, Peggy, um, who was working um, at that point on the creative side is upset that she, her name wasn't on the, um, the award or, or something. And she was just like, but I did all this work. This is my thing. <laughs> and Don Draper says, yeah, that's what the money was right. for. <laughs> like you right. work here, right. um, which is, and I've used that to be, honest here in this safe space <laughs> that we're in. I've used that both ways, right? I could see that sure, sure. I can I can uh lean to this side of she should have gotten credit for being on the team and for originally the idea or someone should have mentioned it or or they should have come to her and said, hey, thank you for this. You because of what your contri- contribution, the company got this award or whatever. But then also on the other side, um having been a research assistant on multiple large, you know, million dollar projects. Mm-hmm. I do my piece. My name's not on it. That's what the money was for. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. True. That's so, true. I mean, That's true. Yeah. I always um, think about that. But uh, there's a lot of women versus girl early on too. I, mm. I uh, raised my glass to that as I'm constantly 
you know, saying women when someone says girl. Well, you were in work in, in particular uh, high offenders in uh, higher education. Uh, I would I, I have noticed. Yes. yes. Very I mean, true. Undoubtedly in other in other sort of things as well. But when the a lot of the people who are around you are young, <laughs> I find that people still lean mm-hmm. into that word at times when it's not been particularly apt for about 15 or 20 years. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and also that just that we don't do the same. Like if we were saying, um, yes, right. You know, college the boys the boys basketball team in college, right. right? But we don't. We say the men's team. So if it were if we were you know infantilizing everyone, great. <laughs> um, but we're not. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question, Tobin. Ooh. You mentioned. Uh, the Lily Tomlin's son that gives her uh, a joint, yeah, a marijuana cigarette, as they say, in <laughs> yes. the bar. Um, and then they all smoke it, and they're all smoking it on camera, and then have the fantasies of killing the boss and what have you. But was that controversial? No, at the time that these three, it wasn't that Jane Fonda was no the, smoking pot part, on, in a movie. I, I mean, I'm sure part of it is a joke. Is there's like a wink to that by 1980? I mean, her brother, uh, Henry Fonda. No, no. Her brother, Peter Fonda. Her father was Henry Fonda. <laughs> her brother, Peter <laughs> Fonda, um, was, uh, you know, it's like a big staple. Of, well, they both were of sort of youth culture, counterculture in the 1960s. Um, but looking particularly at Easy Rider, which was 1969, 68, I think, um, which is, you know, completely drug-laced and, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and is and sometimes credited with sort of introducing cocaine to the American market um, because of that movie in particular, that, that it was, um, I think it would, I think it would read as transgressive, uh, you know, but not, not at all shocking, uh, not by 1980. Huh? I mean, remember how, how close we are to um, uh, 16, no, no, uh, Breakfast Club, right? Like the, the pot scene in Breakfast Club, which is within six, seven years of this movie. Yes, but keep in mind that I have seen, the TV edit. <laughs> 200 times the TV edit yes. where they don't show that. You and me both. So that's yeah. not a huge component <laughs> of my memory of that film. Yeah. Um, it does make some things make more sense in the later scenes in that movie. <laughs> I was just curious. Um, I Yeah, I get I get when you read the, the Fondas in that light. I guess I was I was thinking maybe more Dolly Parton. Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe so. This is, of course, Dolly Parton's first movie. Like, this is her first movie role. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I love it. She's so cute. She is so good in this movie. She's so, <laughs> so good. good can, I, can I trade it and say she's so good instead of saying she's so yeah. cute? I well, she is. Think well, she's I know so what cute. you mean. Like, the, 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 the character that she's playing. She's charming. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And she, be, and she begins as the kind of um, – if you were to 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 make the the bad eighties poster where they each get their own poster, she's the cute one. Like that's you know you have the serious one, the cute right. one, the new one. Well, yeah, and so mean, there is a she's playing. She, Jane Fonda stares at her chest yes, in their first meeting. Yes, in, this, in that first scene, and then like right. self consciously touches her own. So and there's lots of description. You know, they, people talking about how attractive she is in the movie. Uh, you know, and and so yeah, they, I, they're they're leaning into a type that then she gets to sort of flesh out in interesting ways and yeah. and give lie to our 
our expectation that she's going to be ditzy, I think is, is the, is the stereotype. Right, exactly. So I know, I think, I think, I, I think you're perfectly within your rights to, to say that she's cute because it's, that's just objectively true. And then what she does with that, what the movie does with that is, is even more interesting. Yeah. I, you know, my, I think my favorite moment was much later. So, okay. There's something I didn't remember. Yeah. I remembered the rat poison. I didn't remember <laughs> that. Then that led to this wild corpse chase. Yes. Where they steal a corpse that they think is him right. from the hospital and it's not. And then they have to return it. And then they're stopped by the police like that whole thing, I was a little, I just didn't remember that. And I think because it's in my humble opinion, like kind of the weakest yes, for sure. section of it. That is, so that's when I think of nine to five, that is not what I think of. Um, so I think I, so I guess I expected them to abduct Dabney Coleman much earlier because yes. I had forgotten about that whole thing. I was an hour in and they still hadn't got him. And so- <laughs> Anyway, but when much later, when after they've um, sort of accidentally abducted him, and then they, <laughs> speaking of leaning in, they go for it. Yeah. There's at some point where Dolly just says, like, well, let's just get some roustabouts and have him kick his ass. <laughs> yes. It's just like, so she was sincere and it felt like she knew who she would call. Yes, exactly. And like, right. like she suddenly just went, country on them um in a way like oh yeah well that absolutely makes sense to me too let's just do that and (laughs) i laughed so hard i think it was my favorite part i agree with you that that whole section of the movie is the weakest that's i I was um, i I wasn't bored by it but i was finding it uh sort of tangential to the to the story it felt like a like a bunch of gags thrown in rather than anything having to do with the with the story and and i had i had forgotten it as well it's not not a thing i remembered and i would have been happy if they had cut that that part like in half i think that would have been that would have been fine Mm -hmm. what did you think about their it was still fun to watch them right yeah oh yeah they're and they're delightful all of them in the front together in the car like talking to the cop like that's it's a that's Mm -hmm. a funny bit i you know i don't begrudge each little bit of it but it just it just does go on for a while do you have a favorite of mm-hmm. the fantasies? So the three, they get together and they're and and they're at, when one of the women has lost their job because they've been talking oh, about yes. about about how much they make and f- wondering how much Dabney Coleman mm-hmm. makes. That woman loses her job and the and the three of them leave the office and before they smoke the pot, they're starting to have fantasies of, of what they would do to kill uh, Dabney. Do you what did you think of those those bits? And do you have one that you that you like the best? I mean, I rolled my eyes a little bit. Um, because that's just not my, f- a, a fantasy sequence is not my favorite part of any Agreed. movie generally. Um, however, what I, <laughs> I liked, what I loved about it is getting a sense of each of their imaginations mm-hmm. and kind of each of their particular beefs mm-hmm. with him and, and you know how, because I do, um, I am a person who uh, avoids conflict, but has arguments and fights with people in my head all the mm-hmm. time. Like, if we were going to have this argument, here's how, you know, I'd practice it in my mind. And then you come on this podcast and, so, and have real arguments with me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's, how, that's why I'm so good at them. I practice. Yeah. Um, but so I, I appreciated that your mind wandering to this absurd 
place and um and that revenge also as you know well um i and i understand this is complex and i'm um not looking at it in the most complex way i love a lady's fantasy mm-hmm. like revenge fantasy mm-hmm. right so snapped sundays when it's the when there's a snapped marathon on lifetime I am in like all day. I will keep that on and just wander in and out and watch different ladies kill their husbands. Um, the uh, Dixie Chicks. Yeah. Yeah. As you know, I was a huge fan of. So again, I don't, I don't condone violence. It's not right. It's not okay. But there's something about, and I think it's because of the, um, you know, in whatever example you want to choose, because of those the circumstances and the lack of agency and um, lack of opportunity, that then the pendulum swings the other way. And so, I I think that's what I have empathy for mm-hmm. is the the pendulum part of it. <laughs> um, but my favorite that's well, none of that was the answer to your question. Probably Dolly, just because it was so silly. <laughs> yeah. I, I I don't know. What was your my favorite? My favorite was Dolly's, not the part where she's like last like with the like roping him and stuff, but right. the but the yeah. when they're when she is doing to him, she basically is given his role. So yes. they're they're in his office yeah. and she's doing all the stuff to him that he does to her, talking about his butt and his package and his like mm-hmm. total this total objectification mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, and, and harassment of him in a way that's it's not funny that I mean, it's funny because she's funny and they're both their timing is so good and it's a it's a funny scene. But it also is, I think, the movie at its most. It gives me a hint of what that dark version might have been, the their original original conception where you see what, you know, the, the audience is put in a different space in terms of identification in those scenes. Whereas I think some audience members mm-hmm. would, could watch the earlier scene where she is being harassed and it's just more funny. And then this happens and I'm, I'm right. some audiences might say, Oh God, this is wildly inappropriate. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? In a way that was, it was, mm-hmm. it was just as inappropriate before, but may not register in the same way in 1980. Maybe I'm giving people not enough credit, mm-hmm. but I think that's part of the, no, that's a, that's a good point because it is in that first – the first time you ha- they have an exchange in reality and, you know, his chair is broken. She comes in and he's sort of upside down. And and at that point, I still wasn't sure if she was ditzy or right. not. You know, he right. moves things on the desk so that she'll have to bend over and pick something up, which as he was doing that, I was like, that is disgusting. Um, right. But there is – maybe if it's from his point of view it's funny but like it is a it appears to be a humorous scene in some ways um that i think yeah if somebody thought that was funny then hopefully seeing the the dolly version would put into perspective how inappropriate it is and we see like we see that other times right wasn't it um not that I'm a huge proponent of either of these people, but I feel like Jesse Eisenberg and Kristen Stewart did some sort of press thing where Kristen Stewart asked him the types oh, of questions she's asked so yeah, often. I, that sounds that sounds right. Like of what what kind of underwear do you have to wear yeah, with that? Right. right. Or how do you pee in that? Or um, is this the kind of makeup you wear at home? Or like whatever, just kind of things that I just have nothing to do with the art. Right. 
Right. And it have more to do with sort of with the right titillation about people's bodies and things like that. Yeah, I think yeah, that there's there's something exactly. about the the we look people um there's a lot of scholarship about uh, mainstream film in particular and the characters who we are so often asked to identify with that we just that we being just the audience, the audience sort of assumes that this, you know, that the white guy is the person you're going to identify with. The story is going to be told from that point of view, which is why there are times in history where the, the flipping of in this case of their of their genders in this moment, uh, I'll sort of makes that more that's whole that scene becomes then more interesting because we are suddenly the relief seeing it in relief demonstrates how often we see that the reverse scene that we that that in general people mm. may not be thinking about it in the same way and i, I just i think that that's that's that was the one of those that i went oh okay that's interesting and then the others were just sort of goofy yeah. a little bit you know i guess and then yeah i don't i don't love it but um i sort of liked i can appreciate the fantasy sequences, because I think that's part of what helps us get from Jane Fonda of the beginning mm. of the movie to Jane Fonda mm-hmm. in the end. Because and it, and as an uncredited producer, um, <laughs> she whether or not you know she's anyone's favorite or that, I feel like she has the most kind of perceptible mm. arc of she starts out. It's her first day. She's never been in a corporate environment. The other people comment, not really to her, but just comment. She's not really dressed for right. it. She's um, appears to be a little bit meek and unsure, um, and, yeah. unsure yeah. and that. And, and then by the time that she's in Hart's house, um, her ex-husband shows up and, and Hart's trying to get him, uh, you know, has, has filed away at the, the leather <laughs> yes. restraints and, and she's managing both of those situations and in charge of both of them and like subdues in different way, both of these men and then says, you know, and tells her husband off in a way that it appears she hasn't mm-hmm. done mm-hmm. yet or ever. Um, that then leads to that final, um, you know, the, the long office scene when Hart's back at the office and and um, just before you can call the police, the the real real big boss, the Colonel Sanders, comes in, and the um, women are showing all the work that Hart has done that he hasn't done any of um, to change things in the office. And and I I I was I didn't remember the Brazil thing and how they were going to get Hart yeah. to go away. Um, so at that first, when I was first starting to watch, it, I was like, oh my gosh, is he going to take credit for all this too? But um, knowing that it kind of turns out okay that way, it's fun to watch kind of the knowing looks and I don't know, the, just the confidence that all three of mm-hmm. them have mm-hmm. in look at these amazing things that we've done and that work so well. Like it's not just that they got stuff done without him, but they've made these improvements that help the lives of everyone. And it's – and I don't know that the Jane Fonda at the beginning of the movie right. could have done that. Yeah, I lo- and I love that uh, piggybacking on that. The idea that there that they none of them could have done it alone is another sort of cool thing. Is mm-hmm. that you see them as such a team? Well, actually, pretty early. Like I, I'm buying them. Maybe again, I'm not seeing this this with fresh eyes at all. But I'm buying them as a team pretty early. But that that they that the, and and I think that we don't fully understand how much they have. I mean, we do see the, in the in montage that they that they are changing the office. But some of the some of the things mm-hmm. that we see are sort of. Um, 
which is which makes sense. In a montage, you're going to see the the more superficial things. And I don't mean superficial is not important, but the you know having flowers at your desk, like so, some things that you can sort of see visually that maybe a little more a little on a smaller scale, and then you understand how much more productive the office is because they have done these <laughs> like they've, mm-hmm. they've because they've made some real substantive changes that um that you can't the can't as easily see that you're like oh wow they they've been they've they've accomplished so much in like the two weeks or whatever yeah. that they've had him locked up yeah it's uh, i mean it's it is something of a feel-good moment <laughs> right there at the end and but also things that what was then frustrating was thinking about okay 1980 and so many of the things that are still not standard right, exactly places that that could could or should be and i'm not saying every office has to have a daycare but um the flexibility of of coming in and out when it works best for you uh, so that you can do your best work is just makes sense yeah to me. yeah <laughs> and does not make sense to other no, and, and you know there's was a real there's a, a recent study i can't remember where it was from but not too long ago that had to do with the idea of um free to uh somewhere between free and affordable universal child care both for mm. you know preschoolers and for kids after school and and the on a purely economic argument it makes so much sense like it ge- would generate it, w- it would increase productivity it, even if that's if that even if the sort of human side of it was not uh important to you and you were just looking at the bottom line that right. that alone would 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 sort of more than pay for i don't remember what some giant you know some giant thing that we mm-hmm. can't afford to do right now that we would be able to if we just took care just sure. took care of kids so people could could just took care took, of people could, you know yeah. have the flexibility to work as they as they uh as they needed to and not have to so anyway i uh, the that is the dep- there's a depressing thing to the end of this movie that's not depressing is maybe not the right word but um i do have that uh, a little bit of a crestfallen feeling as as exciting as it is at the end that they've sort of accomplished this in 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 this way that not only are they is it called out that they are not going to be paid equally but also that that you could take the same laundry list of things and uh, apply it you know uh, to to most workplaces and find that it's not there and i think that that's that's right no that sucks that really sucks it does suck it does but still a fun movie yeah, did you? How, that's so. In the end, did you like? Did you enjoy the experience of watching this movie, or was it more anthropological? I did enjoy it for sure. I think again that the uh, particularly the three women, and and we can talk about Dabney Coleman a little bit on his own in a second, but um, they're just so dynamic. They're all three fantastic characters. They're very different, but um, kind of uh, like you said, Tobin. I believe them as a team pretty early on. Once they mm. once they all find themselves at the bar together <laughs> um, and can kind of get through some of the office stuff that because um, I have in my notes that the the way that Hart and Roz honestly run the office pits people against each other. Right. And particularly right. pits all these women against each other. And that it's totally. this atmosphere of, of telling on each other. And um, in and yeah, there's a it just seems like they're not going to get the best out of people because they're just looking for the worst in people. Um, uh-huh, right. Or expecting, you know, expecting the worst in people. So uh, the three performances are just, you know, outstanding. So for that, I mean, I will watch Lily Tomlin do anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's how I've made it so far in Grace and Frankie. 
<laughs> Which, so for me, that Lily Tomlin was a very kind of against type because what I've seen her most recently is like super um, flowy, uh, let your hair down, mm-hmm. relaxing. Like bohemian, that, yeah. Thank you, bohemian. In the, and, and for the record, I did enjoy um, most of the first seasons of, of that program. It's sort of fallen off for me, but that's a different podcast. Um <laughs> Mom, that, mom know, just turned off the, the podcast right there. Oh, she and I have talked about it. Okay. And just for the record, for, for others listening of that age group, it's not about the children wanting to put them in the home. Um, <laughs> it's about them not listening to their children's legitimate concerns. But in any case. <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, no, no. But so I feel like, uh, you know, the Jane Fonda in that is much more, she's sort of playing a Jane Fonda character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so this was, you know, it was fun to see this, this as well. It's a little bit more in line with what I expect from her, but, um, but just great to see. I mean, they carry this whole movie. Um, however, they have to have this nemesis. So let's talk about Dabney Coleman just for a minute and, Oh, good. And how that worked. He's, I, it's odd to me because I don't think of him as someone in my life. But if you look at, there's a few pivotal films mm-hmm. from back in the day that star that man. And so he's kind of in my life. Should we name some of those? Well, he's in an On Golden Pond, is he not? Yes, he is. Yes, Isn't he is. He play her. Um, <laughs> he does. Yeah. He does. Yes. Yes. Like the, literally they're shooting at that movie as this one's coming out. It's crazy. <laughs> So they end up together. <laughs> right. In the end. Um, and then and then Cloak and Dagger, right? Cloak and Dagger. Shout out to Nick Jenkins, the only other person. Well, and and uh, and Rob, uh, the only two people, I, other people I know who um, who know this, uh, this movie. And yeah. Other than us who know it by heart. Uh, yeah. Cloak and Dagger. And then War Games, too, which may have been oh, more yes. my. Uh, I probably watched that more than you did. But um, yeah, he's sure. in War Games, too. Um, what did you think of his portrayal of a terrible boss? I think the thing that makes him work so well here is that he is charming. Mm. I, I, I think there is a, he's like, there's goofball quality to him. There's a, he's, he is, his cruelty to me reads as maybe even more sinister because he's, uh, he's half befuddled, you know, like he's, 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 He's a doofus. And I think that, that one of the things that's so smart about this movie is that the the boss is – they're getting at something that feels very true, which is like um, mediocrity gets promoted up mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and and it, until, until it lodges somewhere where it then just sort of like stews. And I think that that's him. I think he is extru- – like not the actor but the character is an extraordinary – extraordinarily mediocre uh, um, like – worker it seems to me uh and has and is prob- probably getting worse as he goes along and is only ostensibly only here because he could tell a joke uh right. you know and will kiss up to the right people and has a has a smile and is probably not a bad salesman and has sort of then sort of stuck here um and i and I, I may be alone in finding him charming but charming but i think when he smiles like there's something in that smile that that um reads as Oh, I don't know. I think I guess I'm what I'm saying is you could have put somebody in there in this this role who is just sort of pure um uh like mean. And mm. I think that having somebody who's a little like 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 who's somebody who's a you know a teddy bear who's um who is 
like a cruel teddy bear <laughs> is both more interesting and and uh, and I think that sort of plays this other side of the character um, that makes him a good match for this role. What about you? What did, what did you think? Charming certainly is not the word I would use. <laughs> I could tell when I said it, you're like, oh, God, okay. I, I mean, you're absolutely right in that he can net- network in this, you know, this particular corporate system that that he's a part of. He has he has done well. Lily Tomlin oh. says her back is tired from everyone leapfrogging um, past her because uh, she trained him. Um, and I think it's we know that it's, you know, can be easier depending on the situation. But, you know, for men, there's, you know, glass escalator, glass ceiling, all that. Right. Um, so I can see him as benefiting from from those privileges. And um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I get Twinkle in his eye. Maybe he he must have been good at, at one stage, at one step in the ladder. But um, I don't know. I just can't. Charming is not the word. Um, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I want to make sure I'm clear. I don't think that Franklin is charming. I think Dabney Coleman is charming. Sure. But I feel like you're doubling back a little bit because because you, you know, talked about him being able to get along with the people and tell a joke and and all that in order to succeed. And I think, you know, I would agree, likely he has to have something in order to um, or, you know, not a lot, but, you know, something to to get him there. I also think he is great at stealing other people's ideas and taking credit where he can. And, you know, I mean, I think he's slick and that's how he's gotten to where he is. I don't think it's because of charm. I think he does a very good job of playing a believably sleazy guy who, um, you know, based on his people skills, has been able to succeed. Mm. Would you like to play a game? I would love to play a game. Excellent. It'd be funny if sometime I said no. <laughs> it would. I'd be like, okay, I'm done. Um, this game is called Best Pantsuited. Okay. <laughs> I, okay. I will give you a scenario and you will tell me which character, Violet, Judy, Dora Lee, you would um, prefer to be in the scenario with. Okay. Okay. And the scenarios are based on other films that we've done. So, for example, who would you rather take with you to the front lines of World War One, a la Wonder Woman? Wonder Woman. Oh, Judy Violet, Violet or Dora Lee? Judy or Dora Lee. Okay, I'm going to say Dora Lee because she knows how to handle a weapon. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. <laughs> They would each have, I think, their strong suits. But I would. What about you? Who would you take to the front lines of to the trenches of World War One? I? I was going to take Violet, because um, I feel like she is the most strategic, mm-hmm. maybe, and um, and would be uh, good at, m- at making plans and kind good of call. executing a, a complex thing there. Okay. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Next up. Who would you rather have on your team to pull off a major heist, a la Ocean's 8? Which of these three characters would you add to the Ocean's 8 team? Oh, Violet, for sure. I would love to see Lily Tomlin on the Oceans, in Ocean's 9. Oh, gosh, oh my God, that, that would, would be, be so good. 
Well, you heard it here first, folks. Let's let's get get to Twitter and and tell the powers that be. You tell Sandy Bullock she needs Lily Tomlin. That'd be awesome. Oh my god. Um, you know, any like you like you said with the previous question, any of them, um, you know, are going to have strengths. I think I would I would take Judy because, um, I think she is maybe the most believable at playing a kind of meeker subdued unassuming i think mm-hmm. she and because she sort of starts off that and that's a component of her personality i think she could play that in a way to get her into a room or close to a target or something so i'll say judy for that nice nice yeah um who would you want to work a whole day at the pie diner with who would be your waitress um companion Oh boy. I just think, okay. I, I, my initial instinct is to say Dora Lee. Cause I think I, I and maybe cause unfair, but I sort of associate down home and pies and I yeah. feel like she could do a good job, but I think I would want to work with Judy. I think, I think that it would working in a pie diner would give you enough time to really get to know Judy. It feels like Judy is mm. at the start of the movie anyway, is a little, um, as you said, it said before, kind of unsure of herself and, um, sort of held back a little bit. And I, I think that underneath that there's clearly this, this amazing, fun, funny woman under there. And so it would be fun to give, to have enough time to sort of get to know her better. So I would say, Judy, would you? Are you, are you Dora Lee? Is that your? Is that your pick? Hundred percent, Dora Lee. Yeah. But I think that's just because I um, would love to like watch her engage with customers. I think that would mm-hmm. be super fun. Um, I would love to hear her stories that, yeah. that she would tell, and if she would sing at the diner. And and I mean, I thought it was funny the way in the closing credits, you know, you find out what they all do next, and. And Dora Lee, you know, leaves the company to be a country and Western singer. Just like, okay, (laughs) of course. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Who of these three would you want on your roller derby team? (gasps) Violet. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Dora Lee would be great too, but Violet, for the same reasons you would want her on the battlefield, I think the strategy should be, and she would like Mm -hmm. take no, no guff, right? Like, among the team disputes or whatever, like she would, she'd, she'd keep things in order. Yeah, I agree. I think Violet would be a, a, a great asset to a ro- roller derby team. Um, okay. Who would you rather work together with to stop a psycho killer who is killing women and stalking you? From <laughs> so you're putting me in the Sigourney Weaver role and, and who yes, would be the Holly Hunter? Who is your Holly Hunter? <laughs> oh my God, my Holly Hunter is, um, <laughs> that's great. Um, gosh, you know, I, uh, oh my gosh, ideally all three, because I think it would really, yeah, amen. Right? I think that would be the best, the best option, them all working together with their strong suits. And Dorley can take them out of the end with a, with a shot. <laughs> yeah, I, I I I hadn't thought of it that way till you said it, but I think yeah, having them as a team is probably the only way to triumph there. And it's like, and, it's like the A team, but uh. <laughs> yes, yeah, I was gonna say, and potentially, you know, they their first plan would not be the plan that worked, but they would find a plan that worked. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. If they can well said, talk yeah. themselves out of, um, you know, getting pulled over with a corpse in the back, they could um, they could probably keep you from getting. <laughs> getting killed that way um and then finally um who would you have join you for a thanksgiving with your dysfunctional family (laughs) um 
okay. So if you took Dora Lee, she would get along with everybody and like have mm-hmm. everybody singing along at the table by the end of the by the end of the night. If you took Violet, she would. Um, and and that's, that could be fun. Having Dora Lee could be fun. If you had Violet, that could be fun because she would not like she would call it out kind of halfway through dinner. She starts saying, are you? kidding me mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know and speak truth to those moments but i think if i were being true to my personality i would i think judy would probably be the person i would go to who would be polite and get along and then afterwards we could talk to one another and say can you believe how crazy that was oh interesting see i was thinking i wouldn't bring judy because i would want someone who was going to stick up for me no matter what and i feel like judy is going to kind of you know based on her internal yeah. compass which is fantastic she's going to um you know say what what she believes to be fair or um you know what i mean like she's yes. going to go for the larger right or wrong right. and i think that's not what i want at that i want someone who's just going to have my back yes yes and so um i sort of think violet for me would be would be that if we came in as a team she's going to defend me to the end, even if the larger right or wrong is, is not in line with it. So what, here's what I think is funny about that is that you would be my violet. (laughs) Like you would operate (laughs) as a violet in that situation. And I would operate as a Judy in that situation. hundred, hundred percent. So who's our Dora Lee? Oh gosh. I guess, I guess I'm, uh, one of the dogs oh, when we were kids. Oh, no. Yeah. Who? Nelia. Oh, yes. There you go. <laughs> yes. Yes. She's yes. Just, yes. She's just glad to be there. She's going to bring um, some great food. Yep. You know, she's going to be cutting up stuff in the kitchen and, yep. and just say, isn't it great? We're all here. Yep. And then and then uh-huh. also be able to say later, like, that was really crazy, y'all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. You know, and then, uh, yeah, but with a, but not in any kind of judgmental way, which is the key to that Dora no, character. Yeah, yeah, good, yeah, good call. Absolutely. Yes. So wait, so that means that Nelia is my Oprah and our Dolly Parton. <laughs> yes, hundred percent. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Join us next week for the game. Who's Nelia? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Thank you for playing Best Pantsuited. Oh, I love that game. Well done. Thank you. All right. We've come to the end here. Um, It's time for our closing thoughts. This is the moment where we give a summation of um, whether we think this is progressive or regressive. Is this a step forward or a step back for fearless women in front of and behind the camera? Tobin? So this is not perfect. It's not. I don't enjoy this movie as much as I liked our last week. uh, Mama Addington's favorite movies. um, Thumb and Louise. uh, Last week, last episode. But I do really enjoy a lot of this movie. And I do think that beyond that, the fact that Jane Fonda was such a was such a uh, power behind the scenes. I think you can feel that it had a, a, um, a woman writer and these giving these three women, the dignity that they have in the performances that they have and the, and, and um, sort of the packaging, the whole thing with this Dolly Parton song. And I just, I think that for all the um, parts, the weaker parts of the movie, I think that it's definitely a step forward. I would say this is progressive. What about you? Absolutely. I agree. Um, I, like I said, I don't 
think all the women are given that um, that same kind of dignity and well-roundedness. That's that's okay. It can't be a seven-hour movie where we know everything about everyone. Um, but the the leads are dynamic, and for me, the issues that they bring up. Um, that this movie is about workplace inequality mm-hmm. and is also funny and was also successful. Right. I think is fantastic. It, you know, I, I think of um, the, you know, ads that I would see this fall for the um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, movie that came out in the winter and how just, whether or not the movie was going to be great, I was so glad that it was there. Mm-hmm. I wonder, even even though this is a comedy, how that might have made people feel who were dealing with some of those issues to see, oh, wow, this is like on the big screen. They're talking about um, the concerns that I have at work every day mm-hmm. and um, – and giving giving them the kind of space to to explore that, and then also I do love a good revenge fantasy. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it, I, I agree. I, I think it's clear that this was um, written and influenced by um, women's experience, and I think that's great, especially if you take into account the time period. But also, just great. So um, I will take it progressive, and also I would say please don't reboot it. Well, they're going to. You know what I mean? But, of course. But they're all three are going to be in it, and Rashida Jones is writing it. Okay, I I will make peace with that. <laughs> I mean, I think and 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 Patricia Resnick is 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 involved. So the original writer, okay. and Rashida Jones, and the three, and they're going to do it for, at Netflix. We'll have to talk about that when it comes out. I think we will have to. I I'm cautiously <laughs> optimistic. Okay, good. As long as one of us is. Yes. That's kind of my role is to be the cautiously optimistic one. Absolutely. What's next, Tobin? Next up for us, uh, we are going to do the movie that was uh, voted on by our voting members, our voting level Patreon members. We're going to do Sofia Coppola's Lost in Translation uh, on that episode will come out on April 2nd. Uh, so come back here and, uh, and hear our thoughts about Lost in Translation. That episode comes out on Equal Pay Day? Oh, as a matter of fact, that episode comes out on Equal Pay Day. Yes. So uh, we'll have to make note of that on that episode, even though we'll be recording it ahead of time. Yeah, cool. We'll do. It's the magic of editing. So in that episode, um, we will both get paid the same amount. (laughs) (laughs) Which, Which is actually, we've been paid the same amount the entire time, which is nothing. So Which is nothing, but yes, thank could, you. I appreciate it. So generous. Continue to we will continue to pay ourselves nothing on April 2nd in honor of Sounds Eagle Pay. Yeah. Um Aislin, do you first of all, do you still want to be found online? And if so, where? And can tell us how you what you uh, is next up for your other show. Great, thank you. So yes, I'm still vaguely around at Sassy Nerd MT on Twitter. I'm not good at it. It's fine. Um, but what I'm excited about, and thanks for this opportunity, is to talk about my um, short series podcast, Why Aren't We All? Um, there's one episode out now. It's Why Aren't We All Vegan? Yay. Um, and it's, it's, it's fun and interesting. These are meant to be just short introductory conversations to a topic. Um, I'm not going to do all the research for you. I don't have time. Um, but I talked to someone who has a 
a practice, a belief, um, a, a, a life plan that makes things e- a little bit easier for them. And we talk about what it might be like if everyone um, followed that example. So why aren't we all vegan is out now. And then um, coming uh, the day before Lost in Translation will be the second episode. And I'm not going to disclose what it is. <gasps> You'll have Ooh. to listen to find out why aren't we all. You can also um, uh, catch up with the show um, on uh, W-A-W-A underscore pod. Why aren't we all Wawa pod um, <laughs> on Twitter, which I am super bad at, but that has to do with my inability to switch back and forth from Twitter accounts. So I'll get some um, tech help and be better at it by the time we talk to you again on April 2nd. Tobin, equal, where can equal people find you? <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tobin Addington, and you can find us on Twitter at contenders underscore pod or on Patreon at the contenderspod.com. Special thanks to our members who've joined at the marquee level or above, Sean Flynn and Jeff Addington. Become a member today, connect with other listeners, and support our show. And coming soon, sometime soon, we'll have our first bonus mini-pod. Every time we get 10 new members at any level on our uh, Patreon community, uh, we will record a bonus mini-episode on some subject. Uh, Maybe a movie, it may be something that the Oscars, or, you know, who knows what, some sort of other other subject. And our first one... Since we have 10 currently, uh, 10 members, we are going to record an episode with special guest Joe Bolenbaugh on the movie Hope Floats. Uh, so, yeah, we are. <laughs> so we'll get to that here. Uh, we'll get that in your ears sometime in the next uh, little while. We here at The Contenders are proud members of the Cage Club Podcast Network. You can explore all their great shows at cageclub.me. And you can keep tabs on all the Cage Club happenings on Twitter at Cage Club Pod. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'm Isla Addington. I am Tobin Addington, and we'll see you next time on The Contenders. I understand what you're saying. Um, well, you just said you said I don't think it's his charm, and I'm saying it's not his charm. It's Dabney Coleman's charm. Is what I'm is what I'm crediting. Great. I don't. I, <laughs> I don't know what you want from me. Um. <laughs>